Good morning. <clears throat> I would normally encourage you to find a, a place in your Bibles, but we're going to be jumping around a lot of places today, so you can open the Proverbs if you want, or you can just um, hang on while we go through a lot of slides. Uh, we're in a bit of a different uh, kind of study right now. Before I get started on that, I do want to give you a bit of an update on the pastor search update. Uh, the the um, search team has recommended two names to the elders, and we have interviewed both of those candidates, both very strong candidates, so we want to thank express our thanks to God for the team, for their diligent work in, in putting that together, identifying and sorting and sifting through many names and many qualified people, and otherwise maybe not qualified. <laughs> that, that fell to them to sort through those things. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been good to uh, interview both candidates this week, and uh, we're in a process now of praying meeting, discussing what's next, who's next. Uh, so it's, uh, we're just sort of open right now, just determined, trying to determine uh, what the Lord wants for us, what's best for the church. So please do, do please pray for us to have wisdom. Yeah. At least for me as, as one of the elders to, you know, be in the room with, with these other guys that are from uh, uh, at least three different countries and, and uh, even the, the Americans are from different parts of the country, which for Southern, that's like a different country. So, uh, but for us to come to one mind is, is always a, a powerful thing for us. So we appreciate your prayers for us. So we've been in a study of Proverbs, and if you're here for the first time, you're joining online for the first time, you haven't been a part of this series, the first, in the first nine chapters, we were able to just focus on a, a passage, and that's been my preference, my habit for years. The second part of Proverbs takes a bit different direction. It's seemingly random things scattered throughout, which is great. It's the beauty and power of Proverbs. It's, it's just like a, a bottle of truth pills you get every morning about different subjects. So it's good. Uh, what I have felt led to do is I've wrestled with how to, to try to uh, present this to you. Um, we're taking a more topical approach for the, for the time being. And so last week we focused on the character of God the good and wise God. This week we focus on what wise character looks like in us, what it is like to be a wise person or a wise man. When we think of a wise man, different things come to mind. We might think of the Magi who came uh, after the birth of Jesus to present their gifts. Of course, in ancient times, it was quite normal for royal counselors to be called wise men. Today, presidents and prime ministers and CEOs all have their counselors. They have their wise men. Of course, some of those are women, it's fine. Uh, they go by different titles, ministers or advisors or counselors, consultants, that kind of thing. They all have their position because, especially in politics, aside from their alignment with the politics of the boss, hopefully they have some kind of skill or expertise in the field uh, that they are providing advice in. And it reminds me of a moment uh, leading up to the 2016 U.S. presidential election. One of the major parties was... Uh, in the process of identifying its, its candidate. And there was a televised debate. Uh, toward the end of that debate, they allowed each of the dozen or so candidates to take a few seconds and explain why they stood out from all the other candidates. One of the last to speak was Dr. Ben Carson, who is a pediatric surgeon with virtually, at that time, had virtually no political experience. And Dr. Carson, his, his claim to fame, his outstanding characteristic, here's what he said. 
He said, I'm the only one to separate Siamese twins. I'm the only one to operate on babies while they were still in their mother's womb. I'm the only one to take out half of a brain. Although you would think if you go to Washington, someone has beaten me to it. Well, I appreciate that. Dr. Carson obviously had immense skill in terms of pediatric surgery. But when Proverbs talks about the wise person, they're not talking so much about skill, but about character. Uh, If we ever have to choose between character and skills, go with character (laughs) every time. Um, So being wise has less to do with how well you do something or how much you know. It has everything to do with the kind of person you are. It has everything to do with what we love and what we desire, what motivates us, what we delight in, what we find meaning in, what we find purpose in. And so what we find is that wisdom, that is being wise in character, at first and foremost, it is a response to the character of God. So last week or two weeks ago when we talked about the good and wise God, we talked about how God is all-knowing, he's wise, he's good, he's sovereign, he loves what's good, and he hates what is evil. He knows everything, he's our creator. And, you know, we are not the creator, we do not know all, we are not sovereign, we have very little control over our lives. Um, We desire to love what he loves and hate what he hates. And that really becomes the heart of wisdom. So, as we look at these, We'll be jumping around a bit just to see the, kind of the major handles. I hope this will give you some, some good handles as you read through Proverbs on your own. Uh, it is more than we can cover in one message. So, God willing, we'll have some more messages along this theme, but a little more specific. We'll talk about how the wise person acquires and manages wealth. We'll talk about how the wise person works with wisdom and diligence. We'll talk about uh, wisdom and our words, what we say. And we'll talk about wisdom in relationships. All those, God willing, are things we'll do after the new year. So as we consider the wise person in Proverbs, we understand that it is, if you read this, you'll see more often than not it's presented as a contrast. Two characters, uh, they go by different names. The wise is also known as the righteous or the upright or the prudent. He's on the path of life. Uh, almost like a boxing match in this corner, you have the wise, <laughs> he's you know, prudent and cautious and he's on the path of life and upright. And in this corner, you have the fool who is the mocker and the scoffer. He's described as wicked, lazy, dishonest, and on the path to destruction. And these two are never going to be friends. If they get together for Christmas, it will be awkward. Uh, anybody expecting an awkward Christmas? Our Christmas might be a little awkward this year. You know, there's Always that person that shows up, maybe that relative, I don't know. Um, Or if you go to Melissa's house, it's everybody's, right? So it's awesome. It'll be a lot of fun, I'm sure. Um, Yeah, but the righteous and the wicked, the wise and the foolish, they are never going to be friends. As it says in chapter 29, the righteous detest the dishonest and the wicked detest the upright. So it is the mutual despising society. <laughs> they just, their worldviews are in conflict, their motives, very little in common between the wise and the fool. But today I want us to see some characteristics, first some characteristics of the wise person, and then some fruit of wisdom in the life of the wise. So the first of these characteristics is humility. 
The wise are marked by humility. So we read in chapter 11, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Again, this is a response to God. We are not sovereign. We are not all-knowing. We are not the creator. We have very little control over life except how we respond to the things that do happen to us. Uh, So humility is a proper response, but Again, we have to realize what humility is. It is not self-deprecation. It is not self-berating as if all you can think about is terrible thoughts of yourself because actually the core of humility is not thinking of yourself. It is a, a form of forgetfulness and a preoccupation with Christ. You're not obsessed with how bad you are. You are obsessed with how good Jesus is and just how heart-satisfying and wonderful and good he is. So this humility makes a person open and receptive in several ways. The first is that the humble humble person accepts correction and rebuke. So we read in chapter 15, whoever gives life-giving, whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. And those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. So you see the contrast there. Be home among the wise, gaining understanding versus self-despising and and destruction. And the wise accept correction quickly in contrast to the fool who has to, uh, he has to suffer before his eyes are open. In chapter 17, we're told that a rebuke impresses a discerning person more than a hundred lashes does a fool. So someone who's discerning, someone who's wise, if they hear rebuke, there immediately there's more of a tender conscience there, a tender heart. and say, okay, you know, might be right. I need to hear that. Whereas the fool, it almost has to be literally beaten, <laughs> has to suffer greatly before they realize uh, they, they lack something. Maybe you've, um, oh, and then uh, the humble also accept advice. It says in chapter 12, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise Listen to advice. Now, maybe you've been around people like this who really rarely let facts get in, get in the way of their own self-confidence. Um, a, a friend of mine describes it like this, talking about someone else. He said, yeah, that guy, he said, he's sometimes right, but never in doubt. <laughs> and I thought, man, that was so true. Uh, and, and there are people like that, and, and people like that are rarely open to advice. And I remember talking to a guy that, that describes him perfectly, and, and I, really there's very little for me to say in a conversation, just a, a barrage of, um, of um, information, shall we say. But somebody who's truly humble accepts advice. We realize that no matter what we know, we, we realize that we might be wrong in a given situation, that we are prone to self-deception, we are prone to rationalization, to rationalize the outcome that we want to happen. So we understand the truth that's in uh, Proverbs 16. It says, there is a way that appears right, but in the end it leads to death. And we are sometimes blind, blind to the outcome, sometimes willfully blind, sometimes just not seeing, and we need others to come alongside and help us see those things. A third thing is that the humble accept difficulty and hardship, knowing that the Lord uses these things to transform character. For example, in chapter 20, we're told, blows and wounds scrub away evil, and beatings purge the inmost being. So the, you know, we, we tend to take two different approaches to suffering. One says, 
you know, oh God, why is this happening to me? I, I deserve better. And so the wise person says, God, you're using this for a purpose in my life. And even though this is painful and terrible and the situation itself is not pleasing to you, I know that you will use this for good. And I know that you have a purpose and you will use this to transform my character into the likeness of Christ. In fact, I couldn't help but in a way think of sort of a, seeing this through a Christological lens, if you will, and that, you know, he was, he received a lot of blow, blows and wounds that purged away evil, not his own, but mine. Um, so anytime you can find Christ in there, it's, it's good. Now, you know, we have the, the false gospel of health and wealth in our day, that if you have enough faith, you'll be healthy. If you have enough faith, you'll be wealthy. And that, of course, is the lie. It's a false gospel. And, you know, wisdom like this just flies in the face of that. And the, the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel, really can't bear the weight of suffering. It, it just can't. But the gospel, the true gospel can. It gives us hope in the midst of suffering. It gives us hope that there is a purpose to the things that happen to us. So we read in chapter 15, again, thinking about hardship, the path of life leads upward for the prudent to keep them from going down to the realm of the dead. Now notice, we're, we're never static, right? We're always either walking uphill or sliding downhill. I took a walk in the park this week and it was snowy and icy. I wasn't very well prepared for it and uh, in Regrovisati and uh, I came to a hilly part and I, I think I literally slid on my feet, I might add. Okay, thank you. Did not fall. Uh, I, I think, I want to say it was 10 meters, probably more like one, but <laughs> it, it felt like forever and I was... Uh, it was pretty, pretty shaky there for a while. But you know what? I didn't slide up. I mean, I walked up a similar hill with similar... I, I didn't, there was no danger of me sliding up. The danger was always of me sliding down. I remember uh, in an apartment we used to live in, the landlord invited us to his hata. It was in the mountains. Uh, it was near ski slopes. So, oh, this is great. So we went and speed th spent the weekend there, and uh, that was a lot of fun. We could actually ski down from that place to the lift, and I mean, ski all the way down to the bottom, uh, of course, the problem is you have to get back. <laughs> there was a lift that took us part of the way, and our kids were small at the time, and so I was being the dad, also affectionately called the wagon because I hauled everything. So we're, we're trudging up, even from the top of the lift to the, to the hata, and I'm carrying, you know, my skis and a couple of kids' stuff, and it's, it's uphill, boots. I mean, I was just like, oh, why are we even doing this, you know? And uh, you know, and of course the kids are just sort of skipping along merrily. I'm like, you know, guys. Anyway, not going to go there. That'll be next week. Then, you know, about that time, one of the key skis or snowboards or something falls out and it just slides straight down the hill. And I think, oh, my soul, I never want to do this again, you know. But, but and the kids actually remember that. They remember how sheerly frustrated I was over that whole experience. And the whole weekend was a lot of fun. Sort of, you know, in a sanctifying, sanctifying fun. Um, you know, so, yeah, so that made it into our family chronicles. The things that we will hear over Christmas, hey, Dad, remember when? You know, sure, I just have to own it. But the point is, we're not static. But walking uphill is hard because gravity pulls us down. It's, it's hard in life, too. That is, living wisely is often like walking uphill. You are defying the forces of everything internal in your mind and heart and, and everything around you. So it, it's a challenge, but it is worth it because the alternative is not to stay where you are, but it is to wind up 
in Sheol, the realm of the dead. Now, next thing is that the humble accept um, responsibility for their choices. Now, we see this from Proverbs in the negative example of the fool. It says in uh, chapter 19, a person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. Basically, a person ruins their life and they're mad at God. It's their own choices, and yet they're mad at God. Why did you allow this to happen? Why did you do this? And, and you know, it is, these things have happened because of our own choices. But a wise person understands their own responsibility in things, also gives that to the Lord, knowing that the Lord will take even our failures and use them for good to, to deepen us and make us more like Christ. The humble also accept praise from people. Now, see, I've talked about difficult things to accept, but here's something that's positive. A humble person can accept praise. You know, I've had to learn that because you might be surprised to learn that every once in a while people say thank you to me after I preach. It doesn't happen often, but it does happen. I'm just, I'm just joking. You guys are awfully sweet and kind and gracious. And, you know, even from the earliest times I've been preaching for nearly 40 years and, you know, I'm sure some of those are best forgotten. Um, and yet people have consistently been gracious, thanking me for whatever I managed to say. But a humble person can accept that. And I really had trouble with that, especially at the beginning. How do I, you know, if I say thank you, does that mean I'm proud of what I did? And just, it was a regular wrestling with me. But let's, let's hear what Proverbs says. First, we learn that a, a humble person doesn't praise himself or herself. That is, they wait, they, they let others praise them if it's going to happen. So we don't campaign for it, we don't ask for it, we don't advertise for it. We don't, as we might say in the U.S., we don't toot our own horn. Um, but it says in chapter 27, let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, an outsider, not your own lips. But a wise person also knows that, that praise like this can be an, as addictive as a narcotic. You can come to the point that you live for affirmation and praise from others. And it's, it's nice to hear, right? But you can't live for it. You can't build your life on acceptance and praise and affirmation uh, from others. So that's why it says in chapter 27, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold. So get it? Those are, those are testing mechanisms. The crucible, the furnace, those are things by fire that, that purify and test metal. It says, but people are tested by their praise. That is, by the praise that is given to them. It's like a friend of mine says, another friend from the always, uh, you know, sometimes right, never in doubt, another friend. I have multiple friends, you'll be surprised to learn. Um, multiple wise friends that give me lots of quotable things to say over the years. But he says, he said, praise from others is like perfume to be inhaled but not swallowed. That is... You get it? Yeah? It's good, right? That is, perfume is, okay, you can enjoy the fragrance, enjoy the moment, but you don't drink it because it would kill you, okay? And also, you know, sometimes swallowing is the kind of a metaphor for uh, believing something totally. And so that's basically, it's like, yeah, you receive it. Somebody affirms and encourages you. You can receive it, enjoy it, thank God. But don't take it too seriously, <laughs> okay? It's hard, to, it's hard for me to not think about Jesus entering Jerusalem and the crowds you know, shouting Hosanna to the son of David and those same people within days are calling for his crucifixion and rejecting him as their king. 
And so it's, uh, if people praise you and affirm you, receive it, enjoy it, accept it, thank them for it in return, that's all good and well. Just don't build your life on it. So that's, that's what humility looks like, at least as it's described for us in Proverbs. And the second area, the second characteristic of wise people is self-control. And we see the value and importance of self-control. For example, in chapter 25, he says, it says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Now, a similar thought was expressed by Oscar Wilde, who said, I can resist anything but temptation. There you go. Because self-control is, is, is like your soul's defense system. If you lack self-control, what happens is you're vulnerable in so many other areas of your life. And if, if you've lived for very long, you know that we are our own worst enemy. And so we have to have self-control. And Proverbs describes several areas where we should exercise self-control. Uh, one area is in the area of our appetites. And in chapter 23, he says, it says, uh, do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Now, it's not wrong to enjoy a meal. God's created us, our bodies to need food and enjoy food. He's given us the taste buds and the flavor to enjoy food. So it's, I'm not saying no more enjoyment of meals for the rest of your life. I think I trust you understand that, but you, you look at the wording there. It's don't gorge yourself, drunkards and gluttons. This is all excess. And so the warning here is simply against giving yourself too much to these things of, of ongoing gluttony. You can, I, I understand the feeling of you're eating with friends and you come to the end and, and you're just stuffed. Okay. <laughs> Probably not, a, you know, tomorrow morning, not going to get on the scale, maybe the next day. But that, that's one thing. But on and on, and I've, I've known people who do this on and off their lives, oftentimes dealing with emotional pain. And, and if that's you, let me encourage you to get some help. Come and let's pray and talk about that. Uh, but we're not meant to be given over to our appetites. We're not meant to be ruled by those appetites. We're meant to be able to control ourselves and to live some kind of level of discipline in our lives. Wise people also control their speech. They're self-controlled in what they say. So in chapter 15, it says, the heart of the righteous weighs its answers. So holds off on words, weighs an answer before he or she speaks. But the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. So it's like a, like a fountain, right? So God willing, we'll spend an entire message on wisdom and words and, and how, how that works. Just for now, note that a wise person controls what they say. The wise also have control of their emotions. Now, emotions are an immediate response to something that, that happened, something that's said or heard or done. We might react emotionally even before we know why we're reacting. If you're anger, fear, envy, uh, ang um, a host of others, you, you understand. But we have to be self-controlled to not be ruled by those immediate reactions, those first responses to respond with wisdom, because oftentimes those first responses are, are destructive. When uh, our kids were small and we were doing, you know, we're, discipline was more of a daily part of things, you know, I'd often send them to the room. It's, and sometimes that was just so I could get over <laughs> what I was feeling because I would be angry. 
And I did not want to discipline them in anger. I wanted that to be a, an expression of love. But I, man, if I had disciplined them <laughs> in that moment, it, it would have been probably not a positive experience for anyone. And then I would have had to go back and apologize to them later. And do you know just how humiliating that is? Go and apologize to your children. It's, and I, yes, I've had to do that. So, um, yeah. So what I'm saying is the emotions are good. They're the gift of God, as someone said, not a friend, just someone else I read. Emotions make uh, great servants, but terrible masters. But the problem is the emotions, they jump out front really quickly, and, and that tends to rule our response. And so we have to just have self-control. So it says in chapter um, one area is that the wise are not quick-tempered, so it has to do with anger. The wise are not quick-tempered or hot-tempered, but are patient. So patience enables a wise person to overlook offenses. Like in chapter 19, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. And often, if some offense happens, you, you, you don't give way to the initial emotional reaction. You let that settle. And as you think about it, you think, you know, this was really not that big a deal, and, it, and it's forgotten. Sometimes it's not forgotten, and you have to address something with someone, and there's a time for that, right? Then in chapter 20, it says, It is to one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. So again, that's, it is simply wise to avoid unnecessary strife, not be quick to quarrel. But there is a time to argue a point. There is a time to stand on principle. There is a time for debate. All of that is, there is a time for those things. What I'm saying is we have to be self-controlled and not be ruled emotionally as, as we enter those things. Emotions are good servants, terrible masters. Another area where we need self-control uh, is in revenge. The wise don't retaliate, but they leave revenge to God and they show kindness to their enemies. So revenge offers the empty promise of satisfaction, and that may last for a moment, the reality is it only generates more conflict and destruction. So it says in chapter 20, do not say I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will avenge you. And then there's this really puzzling pair of verses in chapter 25. It says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you'll heat burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. Well, you know, our first impulse is to think, so somebody, you know, offends me, mistreats me. I show kindness to them, and that's how I get them back. Because basically, I'm like, their judgment maybe is going to be worse. So while I'm offering them bread and water, what I'm really thinking is, have some more coals, buddy. Right? <laughs> Diabolical laugh. Outwardly, you're showing kindness, but inwardly, you're full of rage and murder and revenge. Well, I am sorry to disappoint you, but that's not what this verse means. There were some ancient writers that, des that described the burning coals metaphor as, as the idea of the minds wrestling with the issue of repentance. And what I would suggest is that this verse tells us that by showing kindness to enemies, that can have the effect upon them of getting their attention, causing them to rethink their former hostility, and perhaps bring about a change of heart. So that's what I believe it means. Now, if we get to heaven and find out you know, I was wrong that the first interpretation was better. I'm sorry that I've cheated you all out of a lifetime of happy revenge. Uh, another area is that the wise are not envious, but are content. 
So it says in chapter 14, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. So contentment is where self-control comes in. Wise people are not ruled by fear, but they have confidence in the Lord. Now the wicked, the unwise, the foolish will have a false confidence that will eventually fail them. Chapter 14, it says, the wise fear the Lord and shun evil, but a fool is hot-headed, yet feels secure. So again, you know, sometimes right, never in doubt. Feeling secure, hot-headed, ready to pick a fight, and yet their confidence will eventually betray them. And then we have to guard against being afraid of the opinions and actions of others. Chapter 29 says, the fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Now, a third area, we've talked about humility and self-control. A third area that, that is the mark of, of wisdom is integrity. It says the wise person is not deceitful or devious or dishonest. He's honest, and this integrity guides us in our daily life. So in chapter 11, it says the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Now, there's some with a tender conscience who will hear this, and, and they'll really struggle to, to use and, and enjoy God-given liberties. And it's important to, to not violate your confidence, your conscience, but it's also important to have your conscience shaped by the Word of God and by the Gospel. And so let me just encourage you, there's, there is a balance and a, and a wisdom to that. A fourth mark of the wise is a concern for justice. Now justice in Scripture is giving people what is due them. It might be punishment, it might be care, and it might be protection. It can be applied in all of those contexts. But the wise understand that. Often this is a complex issue. But it says in chapter 28, evildoers do not understand what is right, but those who seek the Lord understand it fully. And the wise find joy in justice. Chapter 21, when justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. It should bring terror to them because they are receiving the justice they deserve. The wise care about justice, especially for the vulnerable. So chapter 29, the wise care about justice for the poor, the wicked have no such concern. They might pretend they don't. Uh, fifth mark of, of wisdom in character is kindness. Chapter 14, it's a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. And in chapter 11, a kind-hearted woman gains honor, but ruthless men gain only wealth. Now, the point of this is not that, that kind-hearted men don't gain any honor, okay? But we would understand that in most contexts, women rarely get the honor they deserve, and yet when they do, it is often by being kind-hearted. is the kindness that is eventually recognized for which they are honored and, and rightly so. Um, then a sixth mark of those who are wise is endurance. It says in chapter 24, do not lurk like a thief near the house of the righteous. Do not plunder their dwelling place. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. So living wisely doesn't mean there are no failures. There are no wrong decisions. There are no calamities that come your way. You may fall but wisdom, character is shown in your response to that, that you rise again. You're not overwhelmed by your failures. You learn, you experience forgiveness, and you move forward. So take our last few minutes to talk about the fruit of wisdom and the life for the wise. First, the wise experience the good life. And this is everything we've talked about in Proverbs so far. It's life and prosperity and joy and blessing and so much more. As it says in chapter 19, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. A second thing, second fruit, is influence. That is, in many ways, you are a blessing to others. God puts you in a place, in a position where you are a blessing to others. For example, the wise can influence people in power. Chapter 25 says, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. 
Wouldn't it be great if, if those in, in government leadership could, could hear this? I think they're too busy yelling at each other. The wise pass on the compelling delight of wisdom to others. As it says in chapter 13, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. Get that? Something that satisfies, that quenches the thirst. It's satisfying to the heart and life. And it's transformative. It turns a person from the snares of death. Again, that makes, your wisdom makes you an influence and a blessing to others. The wise, thirdly, the wise help calm disputes. It says in chapter 29, mockers stir up a city. Okay, this is not just an argument at home, but this is an argument in the city. Large crowd rioting. Mockers stir up a city, but the wise turn away anger. And then fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. So wise people have a way of entering calamitous, riotous situations and bringing some kind of calm and order to the situation, just helping, helping reason prevail. And then we see that the wise gain power, and that leads to human flourishing. So in chapter 28, it says, When the wicked rise to power, people go into hiding. But when the wicked perish, the righteous thrive. Now, we have to understand, you know, depending on the country you're from, you may think, okay, if your favorite political party is in power, that means the righteous are now thriving. Well, you just need to know every government, every political system is broken, okay? So... Uh, if you were pleased with the results of the last election, that really may or may not mean the righteous are finally in power in your home country. I know that's the way it is in mine. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a mess. Um, you know, there are words like, you know, flock of birds, uh, gaggle of geese. The word for Congress, I'm sorry, yeah, the, I'm sorry, group of baboons is called a Congress, which is also what we call our representative government, which is apt. So, yeah, it's, it's hard to know what's going on there sometimes. Um, the third fruit of wisdom is joy. It says in chapter 10, the prospect of the righteous is joy, but the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. We experience joy now, but there is a fullness of joy that awaits us even in the future. Then fourth, there is favor. In chapter 13, good judgment wins favor, but, but the way of the unfaithful leads to their destruction. So there is a recognition that that. There's blessing, there's wisdom, there's goodness, there's justice, there's a rightness and an appropriateness to the actions of the wise. I can't help but think of Jesus as, as a child. It says he was growing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. People just recognized here is a, a good young man. Here's, yeah, here's somebody special, right? Fifth, uh, there is vindication. And this is important because... Godly wisdom is often despised in our day. There will come a day when that great reversal will take place. Evildoers, in chapter 14, evildoers will bow down in the presence of the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. That will happen. Probably not today. Maybe today. We don't know. But we cling to godly wisdom, trust him, continue to, to proclaim Christ, follow him, and... Uh, Trust God for the timing on those things. Know that he will vindicate you in time. I've seen that happen in life multiple times in small ways, but it's, it will happen cosmically in time. So you may be asking then today, uh, well, which am I? Am I? I don't mean like me, but I mean like you're asking yourself. You know? <laughs> I think you know about me. and I don't want to know. Um, you know or if you're asking yourself, am I wise or foolish? Which group do I belong in? 
Well, let me just give you some questions to ask yourself. One, is, what do you hope for? When you're thinking about what you want, where, what, do you, what do you most hope for? What do you delight in? What, do you, what motivates you? Or what controls you? And then the last one, in, in what do I find my life or my identity? That is, what part of my life, if I lost it, my life would be meaningless. That might be a possession, it might be a relationship, it might be a job. If you lost that today, would your life still have meaning? And that might, uh, it, it might point you in the direction that you need to go. So let me stress that none of us live wisely all the time. I know, I know I certainly don't. Maybe the Lord's spoken to your mind conscious about some areas of growth. How do we do this? How do we become wise? How do we grow in wisdom? It will be no surprise from Proverbs chapter 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And there, that is a choice you must make to fear the Lord, to honor, reverence, respect Him, understanding that you are accountable, you'll answer to Him for words and choices and actions and thoughts. Okay, So it starts with your response to Him. Fear the Lord. You must, to, to describe it in the New Testament way, you take up your cross and follow Christ from Proverbs. You, you must turn away from evil and pursue the Lord. So chapter 13 says, A longing fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but fools detest turning from evil. So they're like, I want that, but to get that, I've got to let go of, of this. And that becomes a, an excruciating dilemma. Let me suggest you let go of the things of this age and pursue Christ with all of your heart. Uh, another way is to walk with others who are wise. Chapter 13, walk with the wise and become wise. So stay in community. Stay around people who are wise. If you know people who are wise, hang around them. It says, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, as we move toward communion today, um, we again focus on Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So do you lack wisdom? Go to him and ask. He's promised to give it. Will he give it to you? Will he help you? He, not if you don't ask. Okay? But there is nothing you can ask for that is greater than what he has already given you. So yes, he will help you. Will you feel wise? I don't know. Honestly, I rarely feel wise, but somehow it works out. Okay? So trust him to give you the wisdom you need day to day. As we take communion, we remind ourselves of Jesus' death and his resurrection. By his death, he paid the price for our folly. And by his life, he offers not only wisdom, but he offers forgiveness and freedom and life to all who will come. Uh, let me pray and we'll transition quickly to, to communion. Lord, we do acknowledge that you are God. We are not. You are sovereign. We are not. You are all-knowing. We are not. You are wise. We are not, and yet you've promised to give us wisdom. We pray that you would renew your grace in each of our hearts that we might love what you love, hate what you hate, depend on you for wisdom. I pray for my friends here today, those here in the room, those watching online, that you would grant us wisdom, as it says in Psalm 51, you desire wisdom in the inmost being. So we pray you would work those things into our lives. We thank you for the challenge to be self-controlled. We know that's a fruit of your spirit. So help us to seek that and trust you to bring it about to the degree and the way and 
timing and all of that we leave in your hands. We love you and thank you. Thank you for these moments we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I pray that once again for each one of us, the, 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 um, the mystery and the beauty, the power, the, the horror, the grace, the compassion, all that is wrapped up in your sufferings and in your glory would be made real to us in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.